So this, this series we're preaching is only going to be three weeks long, and then we're gonna, it's going to lead us right into the Christmas season. Um, and Christmas is going to be so much fun this year. You guys are going to really enjoy it. But we want to get through these three messages about the mind, and, uh, and that's going to kind of lead us into Christmas. I think it'll be good. Um, I've had people ask me before, they said, what is your preaching style? What is your preaching style? And I said, I'd stand on a stage and talk. I don't know, blue jeans, I think that's my style. I don't really have a preaching style. Um, there are apparently preaching styles that you can have. One preaching style is called ex, uh, ex what is it called? Ex something, exegetical preaching, and it's where you just take one, one passage of scripture and just preach all the way down through it. I've done that before, that's a lot of fun, it's really easy. Um, other people have different, more prophetic, just whatever God leads them to, that moment is what they're preaching. But for me, and we, we do all of those things, but there's this other preaching style where the Bible says that God told, I think it was Ezekiel, where he said, listen, I want you to hide behind a wall and dig a hole in the wall and look through the hole and see what the people are doing and then walk around the wall and preach about it. And I thought, that's a great way to preach. If I could just see what everybody's doing, right? And so then you've dug this hole in the wall for me called Facebook. And so I can see your whole life. I see your whole life. It's right there laid out for me. It makes my sermons really easy to come up with. So, um, and you'll notice I don't post a lot on Facebook. You know why? It's a hole in the wall. Be careful what you post. Your pastor is watching. No. Um, but, but what, I, what I do sometimes is, is I really pay attention to the different conversations that I have, um, whether it's with my own family or with you um, or, or people in, you know, in the community that I have conversations with. And, and sometimes I start realizing, like, if I see the same word or the same theme come up over and over and over again, then to me that's a signal from the Holy Spirit that this is something that people are dealing with and, and that he wants to help us deal with. And so there are three words that I keep hearing over and over again, especially um, as we've entered into this fall season. Um, the three words are discontent, anxiety, and depression. Discontent, anxiety, and depression. And so today we're going to focus on the word discontent. Discontent is one of those things that we don't really talk about very much, or I haven't in the past, but all of a sudden I keep hearing it more and more and more. Most of the time in the context of relationships, in the context of marriage, I'm just not content anymore. I don't know why I'm not happy, I'm just not happy. I don't know, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing bad, there's, no, there's nobody cheating and no abuse, I'm just not happy in my relationship, I'm not content anymore. Sometimes we find it in our jobs. Sometimes we find it in our, in our community. We, different places where we're just not content anymore. And, and today I just want you to know that those three words, discontentment, anxiety, and depression, those are mental games that the enemy wants to play with us today. And they're mental games that will sabotage our relationships moving forward. It'll sabotage our spiritual life. It'll sabotage our job life. It sabotages everything that they can touch if we allow them to. And so today we want to start this series off uh, by just learning how to get out of this game, right? I just want to get out of this game. I don't want to play this anymore. If you ever grew up with Nintendo, who grew up with the original Nintendo, the NES? Not Super Nintendo, just regular Nintendo, right? I had, the, I had the regular Nintendo, and I remember my brother and I would play um, when, when Tecmo Bowl was, was out, and we would play Tecmo Bowl, and I would always be the Bears because they had Walter Payton, and you just couldn't stop Walter Payton. But they also had the Raiders, and the Raiders had Bo Jackson, and he was also very hard to stop. You're thinking, where does this have to do with the message at all? 
Well, it has a lot to do because we would get to play in and all of a sudden I would start losing and my brother was nine years older than me. And so every time he would start beating me in football, you know what I would do? I would just walk up. It was so cool. You just hit this one button, boop, and the whole thing shuts down. <laughs> it had a reset button, boop, reset. I don't know what happened. And we just start over, right? I would not be content and I would just quit and give up. And that's what we do sometimes in life. We find ourselves in this place of discontentment because we're losing in life or we're losing in marriage or we're losing at our job, wherever the case is, and we just want to go hit the reset button. We want to hit the power button. We just want to give up on everything. And that's not what God's called you to do. God's called you to overcome, right? And so we want to talk about that. And the other thing about these three words that I want to mention before we get into the, just the, the meat of discontentment is, is these three words, in my opinion can really feed off of each other. When I'm discontent, I can become very anxious. And when I become very anxious, I can get very discouraged, and, and that turns into depression. And when I'm depressed, I'm very discontent with everything going on around me. It's just a vicious cycle that, that we get ourselves in, and we can't seem to get out of it sometimes. It's, have you ever been in one of those situations? Last week we had the, the fam fest out here, and it was awesome, and we had so much fun, and then we had uh, rain, like, the whole week before that, so the field was all muddy, and someone parked in the field, and then they tried to get out, and what was happening? Tires were just spinning, right? So we had to go out there and push, and I felt so strong, because I had two strong people on either side of me, and they were really doing the pushing, but I stood there and acted like I was pushing, and the car started moving, and it was one of those cool things. But if we hadn't been out there to help them, what happens is they just keep spinning their tires. They're driving. The car is working hard, but they're not going anywhere. And sometimes when we get in this cycle of, of discontentment and anxiety and depression, we feel like we're working really hard, but we're not going anywhere. And we need somebody to come alongside us and help us push to get out of that cycle. And so that's what we're here for today. That's our goal today. As a matter of fact, at the end of the message, we don't do this every single service, but I feel like today we need to do this. So at the very end of the message today, what I want to do, so be preparing yourself, is I want to pray for you. We want to have a couple of people. I'll get my folks to come down, and we'll, we can get Paul and Vicki to come down, some of our elders in the church, and we just want to pray for you. If you struggle with anything we talk about today, if there's something that the Holy Spirit stirs up in your life that says, hey, this is you, I want you right now to start building up your courage to say at the end of the message, they're going to turn off the lights. No one can see me, right? So I'm going to come down. And I'm going to let somebody else help push me out of this ditch. Amen. So let's get into the word today. Um, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. If you don't mind, I'm going to take this off. So the, the heater uh, in this part of the building stopped working this week. And, um, and I didn't really notice it because we're kind of cheap around here and we don't turn the heat on during the day anyway. So it doesn't really matter, right? I've got a space heater in my office that only warms up my feet. And so that's good. I'm good. My feet are warm. Everything else can be cold. But Pastor Jonathan, on the other hand, he's a little more bougie than I am. He wanted some heat. He's like, hey, this is something wrong. It's cold. It's cold. So, um, so we tried to turn on the heat. The heat didn't come on. So we called the AC repairman to come out. And the AC repairman came out here Friday and Jonathan and I were up here. And he, um, he went outside, he said, I'm going to fix this. He goes outside and he comes back in literally, well, not even five minutes, like just enough time for him to walk back around the building and come in. And we we're like, what did you do? He was like, I just kicked it. We're like, what? He goes, yeah, I just kicked it and it started working. I don't know. And Jonathan goes, that's awesome. Can you come show me what to kick next time it stops working? And so, so now, now the heat's obviously working very, very well. 
Matthew chapter 6, verses, that had nothing to do with the message, I thought it was funny. Matthew 6, 22 and 23, the Bible says this. This is Jesus speaking. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Whenever we talk about mental issues and we talk about uh, mental health, depression, anxiety, discontentment, these are forms of darkness. A lot of people will tell you that whenever they enter into a depression, it's like they enter into a place of darkness, of doom and gloom, right? Everything is bad. And what Jesus is telling us here is he says, your eyes are the lamp to the body. If your eyes are healthy, if your eyes have good perspective, if your eyes see things in a godly sort of way, then the light on the inside of you is full. You are full of light. But the problem is if your eyes are unhealthy. If your eyes are unhealthy. And, and Jesus is in the middle here of a sermon where he's talking about greed. And then he, talk, he says this about the unhealthy eyes. And then he goes into a place of worry and anxiety. So he's talking about these subjects that we're talking about today. And so in the idea of being unhealthy, what does it mean to be unhealthy? Well, I looked up the word unhealthy when it came to the eyes. And what that means is it means to be stingy. It means to be envious. And it means to be pain-ridden. In other words, my eyes can be unhealthy when all they see is my lack. My eyes are unhealthy when all they see is what I don't have, not what I do have. My eyes are unhealthy when all I can see is things that I want that I can't seem to get. All of a sudden, my eyes become very unhealthy. And this is an internal pain called discontentment. I want to quickly give you a few things that discontentment can do in us. And then at the end, I'm going to tell you some things, some ways for us to move past discontentment, some ways to, to break free from it, okay? So a couple of things discontentment can do, and the first one is a good one, right? I don't want to just give you, tell you all negative doom and gloom and not be honest with you, because the fact is there's a level of discontentment that's healthy, right? So discontentment can motivate me. Uh, this is good when it comes to, for example, if you're talking about your personal health, how many times has someone looked in a mirror and they said, you know what, I'm a little discontent with the way I look right now. I don't look healthy or you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you back all your tests and you look at those tests and you see that cholesterol is higher you see uh whatever levels are off and you look at that and you say i'm not content with this i'm not content with bad health i need to do something about it right so there's a level of discontentment that's good for us that helps motivate us sometimes that level of discontentment might be with our our spiritual life we're looking around and we're seeing we're seeing people worship God, and we're seeing people talk about what God said to them, and we, we hear people using the scriptures, and we say, you know, I don't really know the scriptures that well. I'm not content with my level of spirituality. I want to do something about it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to church. There's different levels of discontentment that are good for us, and so that's okay. So there may be some of you sitting out there right now, and you're saying, well, I, I was discontent about this health issue. That's okay. Be discontent about that. That's fine, as long as it's motivating you to do something. The problem with discontentment is not only can it motivate us, but on the other side, it can depress us and discourage us. Sometimes the same look in the mirror, the same look at the scales, the same report from the doctor can, can put us in a place of discouragement where we just say, oh, forget it. I don't even care anymore. Right? And so that's, that's where we got to be careful and draw that thin line and make sure that we're in a place of motivation, not discouragement. But the second thing that, that 
uh, discontentment can do is it can birth a critical and complaining spirit inside of us. Maybe you know someone like this. I know it's no one in here, right? So no pointing fingers, no nudging. I'm looking at you, Doug. No nudging people, right? Because here's the thing. Sometimes when someone is discontent, they become very critical of everyone and everything. Have you ever noticed those people that are always negative? They're just always negative. Everything is bad. Nothing is ever good. And you can come in with a, with a pot of gold, and they would look at that pot of gold, and they would say, someone didn't wash that pot. I mean, it's just like, it's like everything is negative all the time. Or, or not only just negative, but, but complaining. And so, so what they're doing is they're always complaining about everything. They complain about their job. They complain about society. They complain about their church. They complain about Pastor Gabriel. They complain about everything. There's always a complaint. There's always a problem. I remember one time, whenever we were, um, whenever we were younger in life, um, that, that Perry was, had some friends, and she, had, she always had a circle of friends, and she had good friends, but I remember one time Perry was hanging out with somebody that was just a little bit negative. They were just kind of that person, that they just always had that critical spirit, and I remember talking to Perry and just saying, hey, I feel like you're becoming like this person. Like, that's not you. That's not who you are. What happens whenever we get that critical, complaining spirit, it begins to rub off on everyone around us. Have you ever noticed in a home whenever, whenever one spouse is always critical and complaining, the whole house just has this negative vibe to it? We've got to be careful. What happens is we get discontent and we start complaining. We start trading in a victorious life for a victim mentality. It's never my fault. It's always someone else's fault. I wouldn't be in this place that I hate if it wasn't for you or if it wasn't for them or if it wasn't for that person. You know, we get this thing because... Because we're discontent. Discontent also produces jealousy in us. All you got to do is go to the story of Cain and Abel in the, in the first few chapters of the Bible. The Bible says that Cain and Abel were the sons of, of Adam and Eve. And that Cain and Abel had a problem. That, that they went to take their offerings to God. And when they did, Cain, the Bible says that Abel brought the very best of his flock to God. And that Cain just brought some vegetables to God. So there was an issue right off the bat. Cain, uh, Abel is willing to bring his very best. Cain just brings some, right? I just grabbed some old dirty carrots, and I took those to God, didn't even clean them up. And then, and then Cain gets upset that God honors Abel's gift but doesn't honor his. So Cain gets mad. What happens? He gets jealous. He gets jealous of Abel. He gets jealous of Abel's favor. Now, whose fault was it? It was totally Cain's fault, but he puts all the blame on someone else. So that's, that's something that discontentment can happen. Discontentment makes me greedy. I'm never satisfied with what I have. I always want more, right? Now, now this is a good time of year to find out if you're greedy, right? Now, I'm looking at you right now, and I know we think greedy is really, really bad, but there's a bunch of us in this room that we are greedy, and I'm putting myself in that list, right? I'm putting myself in that list. Those of you that know me um, outside of church, you know how much I love shoes, right? And I've done really good. I haven't bought shoes in, in um, like a month or two. And so I'm doing really good right now. I'm doing really good with my shoes. But here's the thing. What happens is you get greedy and, and you, may have, you may have two pair of really good shoes, but you see someone else's shoes. You see how this stuff builds on each other? You see someone else's shoes and you get jealous of that person's shoes and you say, I got to have more shoes. No, you don't. You don't have to have more shoes. You want more shoes. There's a difference between what you have to have and what you want to have. And whenever you get stuck in the want to have, you get stuck into some greed. It's very easy 
to get stuck in greed where I got to have more, I got to have more, I got to have more. The United States of America used to be a country that was one of the greatest or the biggest producer in the world. Now we are the biggest consumer in the world. What happened? We got really greedy as a nation, and all we do is consume, consume, consume. We very rarely produce. We were made great by our production, but we turned over to consumption. And we do that as individuals. It's all about getting more. So Christmas time is one of those things. Think about what you do at Christmas time. Think about the gifts you ask for, right? Think about it. And then think about what you're going to do with the things that you, that, you, uh, that you get and the things that you already have. So you've already got a watch. You're asking for another watch. What are you going to do with your old watch? Oh, I'm going to have a collection of watches. Okay. All right. Well, what about your collection of shoes? Okay. What about your collection of technology? Okay. What about all these collections? Eventually, you're going to have a house full of stuff, right? You're going to have a house full of stuff, and it's not going to be anything eternal. The fifth thing that, that um, discontentment does is it causes me to lower my standards. When we're not, con- when we're not content with our current situation, when we're not content with our current bank account, when we're not content with our current spouse, when we're not content with our, our family, when we're not content with whatever's going on around us, what we'll do is we, we will go to a place where we're willing to do whatever it takes to get more or get better. When we see the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, we'll do whatever it takes to get to the other side of the fence, even if that means lower our standards for it. We've got to make sure that we're maintaining a godly standard. In the book of Genesis, again, chapter 3, the Bible says that Adam and Eve were told by God not to eat of the tree. Now, I want you to think about Adam and Eve for a second. The Bible says that they were living a perfect life. No sin, no problems, no issues. They were a married couple that never fought. Isn't that amazing? How many of you would love to have that? Amen. Amen. Nobody raised their hands but me, and I raised both of them for all of you. I know the men wanted to, but they were afraid of their wives. So we want... They've got this perfect life. They've got a perfect life. They've got animals. They've got food. They've got everything they could ever want. And all of a sudden, God says, hey, you can have anything in the whole garden that you want. You can have the world except for this one tree. Don't touch this one tree. So what's the one thing they go for? The one tree. Eve shows up at the tree one day, and as she's at the tree, Satan shows up as a serpent, as a snake, and he begins to talk to her, and she listens to him, right? She listens to what he's saying, and and he says this. He says, listen, I know, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, I I know you've got everything you could ever want in your entire life. I know God has given you everything you could ever desire, except for one thing. If you eat of this fruit, you can be like God. Now, they've got everything. They've got perfection. And they gave it all up. They lowered their standards to a place of disobedience. They lowered their standards from, from what God had been telling them to what Satan had been telling them. Why? Because they were discontent with the level that they were at. Perfect wasn't good enough. They wanted to be like God. Discontentment started at the very beginning. And what it does is it causes us to lower our standards. We're not content with our relationships. I remember, um, I remember growing up and being in high school, and I remember there was this, this girl, and she was one of those, like, all through middle school and up into high school, she was a really good girl. Like, she was one of those girls that, that um, you know, everybody kind of, you know, they knew, hey, this girl doesn't do all the partying, she doesn't do all the drinking, she doesn't do any of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, I remember in high school, she also wasn't popular, and I knew she wasn't popular, because guess who else wasn't popular? 
this guy, right? And so all the unpopular people, we know all the unpopular people. All you popular people out there, you don't know any of the unpopular people. You look right over us, right? You look right past us. But all of us, we knew each other. And so I knew she was unpopular. And then all of a sudden, she stepped out of our ranks one day. Like, like all of a sudden, people knew her name. And I was like, wait, what happened? People know your name. And we're walking down the hallways, and they're saying hey to her, and they're talking to her. And come to find out, she decided that being a good person wasn't good enough. So she lowered her standards, and she would go to the parties, and she would sleep with anybody that she wanted to sleep with, and she would do all the things that she wanted to do. And she lowered all of her standards for the price of popularity. The bad thing is, people knew her, but then all of a sudden they quickly turned on her because they understood that she had no standards. She was very loose with her lifestyle. When we're discontent with where we are, we lower our standards. Adam and Eve went from talking to God face to face to talking to Satan. The last thing that happens whenever we become discontent is we begin to lash out or we attack other people. We look at the story of Cain and Abel and and what did Cain do? Cain became very discontent with his level of of acceptance in God's eyes and he was very jealous of, 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 Cain was very jealous of Abel and he began to hate Abel, and he lashed out at Abel and murdered Abel. The first murder in the Bible was based out of a level of discontent. But we do that sometimes in our marriages. We do that sometimes in our jobs. We see people in relationships. They lash out at each other. They say things that they, that they probably really don't mean, but it's just very, very mean things that we say to each other. And the reason we do it is because we're discontent and we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to get out of it. We feel trapped. So there's all the negative. Let's talk about the positive. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. we got to learn how to be content. we got to learn how to be content. So here's, let's talk about three ways that we can learn how to be content, and then I'll give you the secret to discontentment, uh, to contentment, whoops, the secret to contentment. Philippians 4, 11 through 12 says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Something I want you to underline, if you've got your Bible today, or if you're in your app, I want you to underline this, is, is the word learn to be content in verse 11. Paul wasn't given uh, contentment as a gift from God. Paul didn't go to God and say, God, I really need to be content. I'm really struggling with discontentment. Will you give me contentment? And God said, yes, zap, there's contentment. It didn't happen like that. Paul had to learn it. He wasn't born content. Nobody's born content. How many of you have a, a, a newborn baby? Well, not, not many people have a newborn baby. You do. Michelle's probably one of the few in the room that do, right? So some of us have a newborn baby. One of us does. And, and she can tell you right now that, that the baby is not content all the time she's got her moments right when she's asleep but then all of a sudden even in her sleep she's going to get hungry and she's going to wake up and what happens when a baby is hungry they begin to scream and cry and yell they're not always content we're not born with contentment we're not given contentment by god we have to learn how to be content contentment is something that you can learn how to do but the problem with learning things is learning things takes time and it takes practice, right? So we want to come to church, and we want God to just give us stuff. And sometimes God says, I've given you the ability to do something. I'm not going to just give it to you. I've given you the ability to learn it, practice it, and live it out. So here's the first thing we can do to learn to be content. Number one, we can be thankful for what we do have. 
Instead of always focusing on what you don't have, learn to be thankful for what you do have. Instead of always focusing on all the deficits of your husband, Perry, um, look at the good things your husband does. Right? Amen? Amen. You're not shouting. You're not shouting. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 says this. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. He says rejoice always. Joy doesn't come from our circumstances, right? Happiness comes from circumstances, not joy, not joy. So happiness is directly, is, is directly related to what's going on around me, right? So right now I can hear the kids partying and having a great time upstairs. They are happy with what's happening upstairs, I can tell, right? They're excited. But all they would have to do is whoever's leading kids this morning, all they would have to do is shut it all down. And tell all the kids to sit down and be quiet. And guess what? They're not going to be as happy as they used to be. Right? And here's the thing. Happiness is based on circumstances, but joy is based on, on, on what the Spirit of God wants to do in you. So joy is based on God. It's not based on my circumstances. And, and Paul says, be joyful. I mean, rejoice always. Have joy. Pray continually. That doesn't mean that I'm constantly praying. It means in every single circumstance I'm praying. In every issue, whether it's a good issue or a bad issue, I'm focused on praying. I'm focused on relationship. I'm focused on talking and listening to God. And, but then he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Notice he says, in, not for. There are some circumstances that we're not thankful for. There are some situations I don't really want. There might be a death in the family. That's not fun. Right? That's not something I would ask for. But I'm still going to be thankful in the circumstance. I've got to be thankful for everything God has done and God is doing. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I've got it on the screen for you today. It says, when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. When joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. So the first thing we have to do is be thankful for what we do have. The second thing is we have to dig for gold. You have to dig for gold. Now, you may be thinking, what does that mean, right? What does that mean to dig for gold? Well, let me just tell you something. If you want precious metals, if you want precious gems, if you want diamonds and gold, guess what? It's really easy to find dirt. It's very difficult to find the gold. You have to work to get to the gold. You have to work to get to the diamonds. You have to work to get to the rubies or the emeralds or whatever the case is. You don't have to work very hard to find dirt. In your relationship with your spouse, in your job, in, in, your, in your neighborhood, in your kids, it's easy to find the dirt. It's very visible. It's very visible. It's difficult, but worth it, to look for the gold in someone's life. It's easy to see all the things that someone does wrong. It's very hard to see all the things they do right, so you have to look for them. Philippians 4.8. I'm going to read the Amplified Version. The Amplified Version just takes a lot of different translations and smashes them together and put, makes it just really, really long. So if you're ever reading the Bible and you decide, I'm going to read the Amplified Version in a year, it's going to take you three years to do it. <laughs> Finally, believers, this is Philippians 4.8. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect... Whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome. Let me pause right here. Let me just go ahead and paint a picture in your mind before we get through this verse. I want you right now to be thinking about something you're discontent with. I want you to think about something you're discontent with. I want you to think about the person that you're discontent with right now. I want you to think about the relationship you're discontent with. I want you to think about the job that you're discontent with. I want you to think about the, the situation that God's got you in that you're discontent with right now. 
Now, I'm not saying that every situation and every job you got to stay in forever, even if it's terrible. I'm not saying that every relationship you got to stay in if there's abuse or cheating. What I am saying is, if you're in a situation right now and you know when it's just discontentment, I want you to think about that right now. Put that person's face in your mind. Put that situation in your mind. And then let me start back over. Finally, believers, whatever is true in that person, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect in that situation, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. Notice he's saying if there is anything worthy of praise, even if it's small, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. This is not always easy, but i got to dig for gold. I love my wife, and we've been married for 18 years, and we have a great relationship in my opinion. Last week we got up here and told you that we're still working on our relationship. We're still figuring things out. We're still trying to get better in our relationship. Are there things that my wife does that frustrate me and make me angry? Absolutely. Would I tell her? Of course not. I'm not stupid. Right? But there are things that may frustrate me with her. But here's what I've got to do. I've got to constantly look for what's good and focus on that. Otherwise, I'm going to learn to be discontent in my marriage. And then I'm going to find somebody else that makes me happy. And then I'll break the marriage up. You've got to constantly look for what's good, what's honorable, what's noble, what's praiseworthy. Focus on those things. Implant them in your heart. Last one, and then we're going to tell you the secret. The last one is this. Stop comparing yourself to other people. We invite discontentment into our hearts every time we compare our situation, our spouse, our kids, our jobs, ourselves, to other people around us. Galatians 6, 4 through 5 says, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get satisfaction from, of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. One of the worst things we can do in life is look at someone else's marriage and say, I wish my marriage was like that. You may not. One of the best commercials I've ever seen, and I don't remember what the commercial was for or what it was about, but it was this guy driving this car, and he was driving like a, you know, just a regular old kind of like me, like an old a Camry, just nothing special, just a regular old car, and he's driving along, and all of a sudden he sees this like nice Mercedes Benz, you know, SUV pull up next to him, and, and it's all decked out with all the things, right? And he's looking at that car, and he's like, I wish I had that. And he starts comparing himself to that person. But then all of a sudden on the screen pops up this little note that says that these people are $80,000 in debt. And he is debt free. This idea of comparing ourselves, we don't know what other people are going through. So when we start comparing ourselves to other people, we don't know what we're really asking for in life. Stop comparing yourself to someone else. The Bible says this, love the wife of your youth. In other words, stop worrying about all these other marriages and all these other people and what they're doing. You worry about what you've got right here in front of you. You love your wife. You love your kids. You enjoy your job. I feel like I'm saying job a lot. 
and, and I don't know why I'm saying job a lot, because I think it's very good for people to change jobs. If you've got an opportunity to move up in a company or you've got an opportunity to, to, to make more for your family, I absolutely am for you doing that. But whenever you see people, and I've seen this in church a lot, let's, we'll focus on preachers since none of you are really preachers and we can focus, be, be mean towards them. But I see preachers do this a lot, that, that I'll look at their track record and they're only at a church nine months here, a year there, seven months here. And every time you talk to them, you say, tell me, why did you leave that church? Well, that pastor was bad and that staff was bad and this, they had no resources and they had, and they jumped from place to place to place. The problem isn't the churches or the pastors or the resources. The problem is always them not being content. When my wife and I were younger in marriage and in ministry, I was a youth pastor at a church and, and, um, I found myself in this weird place of not being content. My whole life we grew up in the ministry and we would move from place to place and go, uh, you know, my parents were pastors at different places and then were missionaries for a time. And I just, in my head, I just got this, this idea of, of moving every so often. It was just kind of what I did. And I got, after a couple of years, I would get antsy in a place and I would start looking for everything that was wrong in that place to give me a reason to want to leave. And I remember one time talking to my wife, and I just said, I'm just not happy here. I want to leave here. I want to find something else. And I was trying to call other pastors and try to find other churches. And I was in this constant mood of, of discontentment. And my wife finally looked at me one day, and she said, she said, Gabriel, we can leave. But we're not going to leave mad or upset or discontent. We're going to leave happy and loving life and loving this church. And I took that as a sign to me to say, Get your act together, you know, right? And so I made up my mind, I'm going to be content. I'm going to look for the good. I'm not going to look for the bad, because the bad is easy to find. Any dummy can find bad. It takes a real man, a real woman, to look for the good. So I started looking for the good. And you know what? We stayed there for like two more years after that, because I learned how to be content. Was everything perfect? No, everything wasn't perfect. But I learned how to be content with what I had. And then God opened up a door for me to end up moving to Birmingham. And now here we are. But it happened because I had to be content. I had to learn how to be content with where I was until God moved me somewhere else, not me moving myself. The last thing is this, the secret. So, so back to Philippians chapter 4, here's what Paul says. It says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So, Paul, what is the secret? Like, I want to know the secret to being content. In the New Living Translation, verse 13 says this, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I think we misquote that verse a lot. I remember one time um, Evander Holyfield coming out to fight and, and whenever, if y'all don't know who Evander Holyfield is, I'm old, so I know him. Um, and, and so Evander would come out to fight. He's a boxer. And when he would come out, he would have Philippians 4.13 written on his pants. And I thought, man, that's so awesome. Like, God's going to help him beat the tar out of this other guy. Like, this is great. Thank you, God. You know, giving him the strength to just pummel somebody. And then I remember, like, as a kid growing up and playing sports and doing things, I would, I would look at it and I would be like, you know, uh, I, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'd go to take a test. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then I would fail the test and I thought, hey, Christ didn't give me the strength. I passed the test. And Christ is probably going, because you didn't study. I gave you all the work you could have done. 
Here's the thing. We misquote that verse because we don't understand the verses that come before it. Paul's talking about learning how to live a content lifestyle, whether he's got a lot or he's got a little. There were times in Paul's life when he had a lot. He worked jobs and, and, and had churches and had different things happening. So there were moments in his life when he had plenty. There were also moments in his life when he was getting the tar beat out of him, whenever he was left for dead. One time he got stoned and, 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 and they thought he was dead, but he wasn't. Like God, God miraculously healed him. Like all kinds of terrible stuff happened to Paul. He was shipwrecked multiple times. I would never get on a boat with Paul. But here's the thing. He learned how to be content because he knew this one secret. And the secret was, I can do all things. Doesn't mean I can do all things in the sense of I can fly. It means I can do all things. I can endure all things. I can be rich and I can be poor in the same life. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's all about my relationship with Christ. Christ is the secret. John 15, 5 says this. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You want to be content? Learn to abide in Christ and allow Christ to abide in you. Maintain a relationship with Jesus and you can be content. One of the things is if, if I ever get to a place of discontentment with my spouse, if I ever get to a place of discontentment with the church, if I ever get to a place of discontentment with my neighbors, my first goal is not to see how they can change. My first goal is to go back to my relationship with Christ and to say, am I doing everything that I should be doing in my relationship with God? Am I pursuing Christ with everything I have? Because the more I pursue him, the more the Holy Spirit produces fruit in me, like patience, right? That I probably need to deal with people that make me mad. Kindness, joy, love. The Holy Spirit produces these things. The closer I get to him, the more I abide in him, the more he abides in me. There's a, there's a verse, uh, Psalm 37, 4. I think I've got it on the screen for you. And, and if I don't, um, I'm just going to read it to you. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That word delight there means relationship, it means love. If you have a loving relationship with God, he'll give you everything that you need. We sang two songs earlier and this is where we're going to end, sorry. This is the part of the sermon where the sermon ended on my notes and picked back up on a scratch piece of paper during worship today. We sang two songs. We sang champion. And we sang another song that I don't know the name of, but it said, I want to know your heart. Draw me a little closer. What's the name of that song? Closer. Ha, so dumb. Should have guessed that one, right? Champion and Closer. I love both of those songs. But as I was listening to those songs, as we were worshiping today, I'm, I'm listening to the words of these songs. And I'm thinking, this is exactly what we're talking about today. That we feel like we're in this cycle uh, of discontentment, that nothing is making us happy and everything's making us mad and I'm always frustrated and I'm always aggravated and, and I can't seem to get out of it. So what do I need? I need a champion. I need someone that can win the battle for me. I need someone that can pull me out of the ditch. I need someone that can come alongside me and help me. What do I need? I need to know his heart. I need to be closer to him. Because the closer I am to him, the more content I can be in every and all situations. Paul was beaten and thrown into prison and sitting at the bottom of the prison. 
And in the bottom of the prison, the Bible says at midnight, what did he do? He began to worship God. He decided that he can't just be discontent with everything in life because life is not always easy or fun. He's got to learn how to be content by getting closer to God. David wrote Psalm 37. Why don't you stand up today? David wrote Psalm 37 for... But I want you to listen. I, I just Before I got up to preach, I, I just looked up Psalm 37. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read some of it to you. And I want you to allow this to, to kind of minister to you today. As a matter of fact, as I'm reading this, if I could get mom and dad, you guys come on down. And, and Paul and Vicki, y'all come on down. And, and we just want to be available to you. If you need prayer at the end of the message today, I want to pray for you. Or they want to pray for you. Listen to Psalm 37. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong, for like grass they will soon fade away. Like spring flowers they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good, then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your de the heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord, trust in him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Part of the reason we're not content is we don't trust him. David goes out to fight a giant. David wasn't special. David was a little guy. He was a teenager and he's facing a giant. And David goes out there. The only thing he has besides a few rocks and a sling is a relationship with God. And he said, I trust God to kill this giant. When we're discontent, what's happening is we don't trust God to take care of us. But if I'm content, I'm trusting God that he's going to help me in my marriage. He's going to help me in my job. He's going to help me in my situation. I'm trusting him. He says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry and turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Verse 16, it's better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. For the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. This is coming from a man that was a shepherd. He was the, the baby son of seven boys, the runt of the litter. He was exalted to the captain of the army only to be kicked out of the kingdom and live in caves and ditches and run for his life before he became a king again. He had ups and downs, but one thing that was consistent in David's life was his relationship with God. He even had sin. He had depths in sin. But he always repented and came back to God. Today, the, the first way, the secret to getting out of your discontentment is going to be in your relationship with God. Why don't you bow your heads this morning? God, I just pray right now that you would speak to our hearts, each and every one of us. And whatever it is that we need today, whatever it is that you're doing in us today, I pray that you would draw us close to you. I pray that you would draw us close to your heart. God, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage today that if we've got an issue in our life, if we've got an area of discontentment, whether it's in a relationship or it's in a, it's in a job or, or, or just whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, God, I pray today that we would seek to find that champion, that somebody that can help push us out of the ditch. And God, we know that's in you. We want to put our trust in you, but we're struggling with it. 
We want to pursue you, but we're struggling with it. We've allowed busyness to get in the way. God, we've allowed our discontentment to get in the way. But today, we want to go after you. So I just pray for every person in this room. God, if, if we don't know you today, if we're not serving you, if, we're not, if we haven't given our life over to you today, then today, help us to put our faith in you, our trust in you, to, to, to believe that Jesus is a sacrifice for our sins and that you will save us. Whatever the issue is today, God, help us today. Be with us today. Let your presence fill our lives. In Jesus' name.